by the way, the prayer room uh, is the prayer room because we pray in it, uh, not because we've reconstructed it. So we've been praying in it even while it's under construction. Uh, and if you want to be part of that prayer, we meet 15 minutes before each service in that prayer room to pray for what's happening, for the people who are coming to the service, uh, and God is blessing that work. So I invite you to do that. Also in the second service, uh, if you go to the second service, you can meet us there at 11, 11 a.m., uh, and you'll find us uh, in there praying. All right, our second reading this morning is from Romans chapter 15, uh, uh, 7. I will start at verse 15 and run through, I guess, the end of the chapter. Romans 7, 15 to 25, hear the word of the Lord. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that... When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm a little annoyed. I'm a little annoyed with the Apostle Paul this morning because he's been plagiarizing me and not giving me credit. Listen to these lines. He's stolen straight from my diary. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. January 18th. I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. March 23rd. Wretched man that I am. June 11th. For a number of us here at HVPC, this chunk of Romans chapter 7 is a touchstone passage. Paul's description of his own internal conflict between his mind and his flesh, between what he really deep down believes and wants to do and what he in fact finds himself doing... Paul's description of his own struggle with sin profoundly resonate with our own experiences. And they make perfect sense to us. And frankly, we're grateful to him for being so honest. We're grateful to Paul for telling the truth about stuff that lots of Christians want to sweep under the rug. I do not do what I want. 
But I do the very thing I hate. This week we continue our series of sermons through Paul's letter to the Romans. I'm grateful to the Reverend Dr. Dan Wilson, the Valley Christian School dad, for filling this pulpit these past two weeks while I've been away. And I'm grateful that he continued the series working uh, through Romans. Two weeks ago, I was at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando doing the sixth of my uh, sixth course in my doctorate of ministry program there. Two more to go, and then my dissertation, so I feel like I'm beginning to make some progress in the program. The course that I took this time was on church growth and revitalization. Now, one of the distinctives of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, our home denomination, is their commitment to church planting, to church growth, and to the revitalization of old churches. While the population of the United States grows every year, the majority of American churches are shrinking. A 2017 study of 1,000 churches conducted by Tom Rainer, he's the fellow who wrote Simple Church, he found that 56% of American churches are declining and 9% are stuck neither growing nor declining. That leaves just 35% of American churches that are growing. So the question is, how can we here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church be part of that 35%? Believe it or not, part of the answer to that question of how we can be a growing church is simply asking the question. There's not much chance we'll grow if we don't intend to grow. There's not much chance we'll grow if we don't ask ourselves, how can we grow? Putting the matter on the agenda is the first step in making it a reality. And in case you haven't heard, the growth of this congregation is on the agenda. For several months now, I've been talking with a session about this because I sense that God is calling this church in two very specific growth directions. First, I believe that God is calling us to double the size of this congregation. And second, I believe that God is calling us to do that through conversions, not through transfers. Let me talk about each of those in order. First, doubling the size of our congregation. Given the size of our buildings... Given our responsibility to Valley Christian School, it makes a lot more sense for us from a practical business standpoint to be twice the size that we are. We are a healthy, stable congregation of 200 members. But there is a lot more ministry that we can be doing if we're 400 members. And running a church of 400 doesn't cost twice as much as running a church of 200. Which means, as we grow larger, we become more efficient and pack a larger punch. It's been 50 months now, four years and two months, since we purged our membership roles in preparation for our move to the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We got rid of all of the dead wood, and we got a more accurate read on the actual membership of this church. And that number came in at just 164 people. Now since that time, we've added 69 new members, more than one a month, which is not bad on the upside, but on the downside, we've buried 17 members, 
11 have moved away. Two were ordained and are now working at other churches. And five were removed from the roles because they weren't active enough. That puts our net gain at 35 people over the course of those 50 months, which is about 5% growth per year. Now, you know what they say, past performance is no guarantee for future results. But if we were to continue in having 5% growth going forward, we will be a 400-member church on the Sunday that I retire. Which will also be, by the way, the week that Mia graduates from Valley Christian High School. Right? 5%. It's healthy growth, steady growth, nothing crazy. It's an attainable goal for us here at HVPC. And I think God will be honored by our intention and he will bless them if we commit ourselves to a plan of sensible, sustained growth, growth that will transform this ministry over the course of my pastorate. The visiting professor for my class at RTS was Sandy Wilson, who for 20-some years uh, led Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis. Second Pres is part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and it has been this church-planting powerhouse for a number of decades now. This past May, at the EPC's General Assembly, we met at Hope Presbyterian Church in Memphis, which is one of the churches planted by Second Pres. Hope happens to be the largest Presbyterian congregation in the United States, far outstripping its mother church. Now, one of the interesting things that Sandy uh, Wilson kept saying during our week with him in Orlando was this. He said to us, think about and plan for the church that you will leave to your successor. Think about and plan for the church that you will leave for your successor. I believe that the next time this congregation puts together a pastor nominating committee, they will need to find a pastor equipped to lead a 400-member church. Because I believe that's the church that we are being called to build now. During this chapter of our history, I believe that God is calling us to double the size of this congregation, and I think we can do it before it's time for me to move on. And I believe that God is calling us to grow this church through conversions rather than through transfers. HVPC has a reputation in this area as a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. We're known as a church that combines warm hearts and thinking minds. We don't park our brains at the door when we come into worship. Part of that means that we preach expository sermons straight through whole books of the Bible at a time. And there are Christians who come to us from other churches because of the way that we do things here. And that's wonderful and I'm happy to have all of you here this morning. But I feel personally convicted that we have not been sufficiently committed to helping lost sinners find Christ. I feel personally convicted that we have been too content to build a cozy congregation for like-minded saints. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus tells us that the good shepherd turns aside from the 99 safely enfolded sheep to go out and to find the one lost sheep. And then he tells us that when that one lost sheep is found, there's rejoicing in heaven. I believe that God is calling us to have the same priorities as Jesus had. I believe that God is calling us to double the size of this congregation. And I believe that God is calling us to do that through conversion, through finding the lost, rather than through transferring saints from other churches that are already serving our people throughout this neighborhood. And I want all of you to be a part of that. To be a part of this amazing future that God is calling us into. And so this week... We continue our series of sermons through the book of Romans and we continue in this discussion of sanctification. Paul's discussion of sanctification, which he began in chapter 6. You'll remember that Paul begins this letter by pointing out that everyone has a sin problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous, no, not one. And then he shows us how God has revealed a righteousness that is apart from keeping the law. A righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And what was true for Abraham can be true for us. Paul says, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. If we are born again then God has counted us righteous by faith in Jesus. But now that we have been counted righteous, God actually expects us to be righteous. Yes, God is serious about His law. And so we're faced with the hard how-to question. How do we go about being righteous? How do we go about being holy? How do we obey God's direct command that Brother Sal read for us over and over again? Be holy for I am holy. Deuteronomy 30, 11. God speaking to the people says this. What I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Now honestly... Some of us are wishing that God had given us an easier command. Easier than be holy for I am holy. Like maybe be omnipresent for I am omnipresent. This is a hard calling. My job this morning is to tell you how this holy thing is going to be done. My job is to tell you how we can obey God's command, be holy for I am holy. And I'm going to try my best. Let me begin with the problem. Paul, who was as sanctified as any of us could hope to be, writes, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul sees himself as divided or split into two parts. On the one side, he has what he calls his flesh, or his members, or his body of death. And on the other side, he has what he calls his inner being. In the Greek, it's the inner man, or his mind. And these two components of himself, let's call them 
His flesh and his mind are at war with one another. Paul writes, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. Each side is pulling in its own direction. What Paul is describing is the ordinary experience of anyone who has been born again. R.C. Sproul in his commentary on this passage says, life doesn't become really complicated until we get born again. And that's because before we're born again, our flesh reigns absolutely and is the unchallenged Lord of our lives. There is no conflict. Unregenerated sinners don't suffer conflict because about how they're living. They don't have an internal struggle about their actions. They do what they want to do. End of story. Now they might complain about the consequences of their sin, the way a drunk might complain about a hangover, or they might complain that society or their family are making them feel guilty about doing what they want to do. But regarding the choice itself, those who are unregenerated, those who are still outside of Christ, they do as they please without any internal struggle. But once we're born again, the struggle begins. A new force A new principle comes to life inside of us. Paul calls that force or that principle the inner being or the mind in Romans chapter 7. In other places he's going to talk about the new man. Before we were born again, there was only the flesh. But after we are born again, there is both the flesh and the mind. There's both the old man and the new man living inside of our skin, side by side. Duking it out. Two forces, two principles contending for control of one unified self. That's the problem of the Christian. That's the problem of sanctification. St. Augustine described this experience as being like a horse that has two jockeys on its back. In the funny pages, you'll see the cartoons of the conflicted person with a, a good angel on this shoulder and a bad angel on this shoulder. When we come to Christ, we enter into a battle. When we come to Christ, we discover a war between these two principles. The mind versus the flesh. The old man versus the new man. Sanctification is the lifelong journey of a born-again person toward godly holiness. Sanctification is the ongoing struggle in the life of the born-again person between the old nature and the new nature, between the flesh and the mind. We're called to live holy lives. And yet, with Paul, we look at ourselves and we have to confess, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. We have to confess, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. So, how does this sanctification get done? I think the best way that I could think of to explain sanctification is to say that sanctification is like a one-way trip to the moon. Sanctification is like a one-way trip to the moon. And you can't get there by flapping your arms. You're going to have to strap a rocket to your back to get to the moon. 
Now hear me out. I'm actually serious about this. Your mind wants to do what is good. Your mind wants to rise up and live on a spiritual level. But your mind wants to do what it's been called to do by the law of God. But your flesh remains bound by the gravity of earth. Your old man is slowed down by the inertia of sin. Your mind in moments of ecstatic exuberance reaches toward this spiritual moon. And in those self-same moments, evil lies close at hand, Paul tells us. And you find yourself very much flesh-bound and very much tied to earth. Your mind wants to rise up, but your flesh keeps falling down. That's the condition that Paul describes. That's the condition that every born-again person knows, at least those who are telling the truth. But notice this. When the smart people at NASA wanted to go to the moon, they designed a rocket to lift us up and away from the gravity of earth. In building that rocket, engineers had to account for mutually opposed forces, lift and gravity, thrust and inertia. Getting to the moon is hard. Because of gravity. Getting anything to move is hard because of inertia. But thrust overcomes inertia. Thrust perpendicular to the surface of the earth becomes lift. And if you have the right amount of lift at the right time in the right direction, you're on your way to the moon. So how do we get ourselves to the moon? Ourselves who are composed both of renewed minds and fleshly bodies. Well, we have to strap a Holy Ghost rocket to our backsides. Our flesh always wants to fall to the earth. Our flesh is always slowed by the inertia of sin. And so if we are to enter into the heavenly realms, we need a boost that can only come from the Holy Ghost. We have a Holy Ghost booster rocket strapped to our backs when we are born again. And our ability to overcome the gravity and the inertia of flesh comes from the Holy Spirit, not from us. Our ability to rise up to greater things comes from the Holy Spirit, not from flapping our own arms. When Paul says, I can do all things, you know that passage. When Paul says, I can do all things, all things like flying to the spiritual realm, he immediately qualifies that boast by saying, through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is Paul's booster Rocket, Paul isn't doing it. When God spoke to the children of Israel in the wilderness and said to them, Be holy, for I am holy. He also says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. He also said, I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the people that you might be mine. God sanctifies us. God separates us from the world of sin. God is our booster rocket. Do you see what's happening? God calls us to sanctification, to holiness, to a life of holiness. But God himself does the sanctifying. God calls us to holiness, but God himself gives us the Holy Ghost booster rocket to live holy lives. Now, lift and thrust only make sense in the context of gravity and inertia. 
And that in our parable, of course, is the flesh and sin. If you've been born again, you have a Holy Ghost booster rocket strapped on your back and you need that booster rocket because you can't get there on your own without the boost. You're not going to get to the moon by flapping your arms. Paul's description of the tension in himself between his Holy Ghost-empowered mind and his fleshly, earthbound body is an accurate description of our lived reality, of the Christian reality. Paul confesses his ongoing struggle with sin and the flesh because he doesn't want us to be surprised when we struggle Some Christians are surprised when they sin, when they're struggling. None of us is more sanctified than Paul was. And so if Paul struggled, we need to expect that we will struggle too. Even if we've been born again, we still live in the flesh, what Paul calls the body of death. That's just our reality for right now. But rather than being discouraged by... That challenge, we take heart knowing that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Everyone who is born again has the Holy Spirit. It is not a second gift that you receive later. Upon your conversion, you receive the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the rocket that can do for us that what we can't do for ourselves. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let me close on a practical note. The next time you face conflict between your mind and your flesh, and that might happen before you even leave the sanctuary this morning, the next time you face a conflict between your mind and your flesh, the next time you are tempted to do something that will pull you down into sin and away from holiness, the next time you find yourself getting ready to do something that deep down you really don't want to do, I want you to quit flapping your arms. Stop it. Stop trying. And I want you to believe that you have a Holy Ghost rocket strapped to your backside. And I'm not kidding. Rather than flapping your arms in some kind of prideful, futile attempt to be perfect in your own holiness and in your own power, I want you to believe a Holy Ghost rocket that will give you the lift and the thrust that you need to do what you cannot do in your own power has been given to you as part of your birthright as a Christian. I want you to believe a Holy Ghost booster will lift you up and away from that sin that wants to pull you down. We have to stop trying to do these things in our own power. A lot of us in this room are very successful people. We're accustomed to getting things done because we're smart, because we're hardworking. This is something that we cannot do by ourselves. We're not going to do these things. We're not going to sanctify ourselves. We are not our own Savior. But if we will have the humility to admit our sinfulness, if we have the humility to tell the truth about what's going on in our lives, 
Then we take the first step to victory. Victory over sin and the flesh. Victory that will give, be given to us by God himself. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. Submit yourselves then to God. That means bow down. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, Paul writes. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, Paul says. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, I have the Holy Ghost. He has been given to me as part of my birthright as a born-again Christian. And as Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All honor and glory be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we adore you. And we freely admit that there have been times this week when we have known and the right thing to do, when we wanted to do the right thing. And we've gone off and done the opposite. And so, Lord, we just pray that you continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit, and we pray that we would not grieve that Spirit. We pray that your Spirit would be powerful and that it would overcome the gravity and the inertia of our flesh. Lord, we pray that our lives would be holy, that they would be sanctified. We pray that not only for our blessing and and for the blessing of those people around us, our family and the community. But, Lord, we pray it also for your honor and for your glory. I pray that we would be the kind of people that people look at and say, look, God is doing something in their lives. Lord, we are your people. You've called us by name. You know where we've been. You know where we're going. We just ask that you keep with us. Hold us tight. Bring us home to you one day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.